Welcome to Educate with Dr. Jefferson, the talk show that makes the connections between research, policies, and practitioners that are too often missing from the American education system. Now, here's your host, Dr. Jonathan Jefferson. Good day, listeners. Welcome to Educate with Dr. Jefferson. I am your host, Jonathan Jefferson. You can learn more about me at my show page on TalkZone.com. Today we are going to be discussing creative writing. What is creative writing? Many people believe that because I'm an author, I must be well-versed in the art of creative writing. The truth is that outside of poetic haikus, I am not an expert on the topic of creative writing. Much of my writing stem from my personal experiences and observations. Today, I have two fantastic guests who will share their expertise on the topic of creative writing. My first guest is Laura Michelle Thomas. Laura Michelle Thomas is an author and publisher from British Columbia, Canada. She is president of Laura Thomas Communications, a company dedicated to fostering the development of young writers worldwide. She is the creator of the International Junior Authors Contest. She is the host and organizer of the Junior Authors Conferences in Canada and the United Kingdom. Laura is also the publisher of Joblog, an e-zine by and for junior authors. Laura, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks so much for having me, Jonathan. Oh, thanks for joining the show on such short notice. I greatly appreciate having you. Um, let's start with the basics. First... There's a term that I've heard many times called writer's block. Can you tell my listeners what exactly is writer's block? Absolutely. Um, it's a, Actually, it's a funny question because I think if we really got down to brass tacks, uh, there is nothing really called writer's block out there. There's nothing really that can actually block a professional working writer from writing. You can feel lazy. You can want to take the day off. But that's that's beyond... That's normal. Everybody, you know, accountants, do accountants get accountants block? <laughs> lawyers get lawyers block? No, of course not. You still have to get up and go to work in the morning. I think um, writer's block comes from a, a sense of when you don't really know how the writing process works and what you're trying to accomplish. And, you know, so you're a novice say, in, in, the, in the craft of writing. It's that thing that happens when you just kind of give up and you get frustrated and you don't know what to do next. That doesn't generally happen with professional writers because we know what we have to write. Our craft is at a certain level. We've put in our 10,000 hours, and we don't get writer's block because, just like anybody, firemen don't get fireman block. <laughs> you know what okay. I mean, Jonathan? It's, it's, it's that kind of thing. Okay, so um, my experiences with, you know, uh, not wanting to or procrastinating usually comes from the world of academia. You know, you have a research project to do or what have you. So in general, especially for the creative writer, uh, how do you overcome that? Okay, so and this, what I'm going to talk about right now is, is a writing process that, I mean, not every professional would work this way, but anybody who's in a uh, fiction or nonfiction kind of writing can use this to... Like I said, it's one thing to be talking to somebody who already knows how to write, but to talk to those uh, listeners who maybe are thinking about writing, they've tried a few projects, they've stopped, they've started, maybe their computer has 50 unfinished ideas on it, you know what I mean? Yes. To talk to those folks, um, you really just need to break it down, just like you wouldn't set out to build a house or you wouldn't set out to even build a dog house, <laughs> right? So whether we're talking about a tiny short poem or we're talking about a novel, 
um, you wouldn't really start out without plans and you wouldn't really not sort of have anything there to make your project happen. And the same thing with writing. And what's funny about writing is that we as writers can't really go to the store and buy wood. We can't go buy a lump of clay that we then mold and, and do things. So we can't even go buy paints like artists do. We literally have to make our own lump of clay, as it were. So the first thing that you really just want to do is just start writing about your idea, right? So that's just the first process. In school, you probably learned about it as, well, I'm going to brainstorm. Well, I've got a bit of a newsflash here, which is brainstorming, like you're often taught it in school, is is not really what writers need to use to brainstorm. We write our first draft, our lump of clay, and that is our brainstorming. There's something funny about writing is that you don't often know what's going to come out of you until you actually sit and write. So you want to just get that first draft down. It's probably garbage. It should be garbage. <laughs> you just want to get it down. See what you've got. And that applies to whether you're writing a dissertation, you're writing an essay on uh, the theme of Macbeth, or it could be, you know, you're writing your short story or even a poem. You want to get that first draft down, ugly, bare, raw, lump of clay, and then you have something to work with. So that's probably the first thing. And a lot of people I know, well, I mean, I, I work with thousands of kids around the world every day talking to them, and I, I have these contests where I'm seeing thousands and thousands of entries being sent in every year, and also being an, a senior editor, I get to see all sorts of pieces of writing in all different states. And we deal with both uh, nonfiction articles as well as fiction at our blog. Okay. So the thing is that those lumps of clay, if you can get there, because what sometimes happens with the novice writer, like I said, whether it's an essay or a story, is you think that you are, you know, you're, you've got the first part of it down, you've got your introduction of some kind, and you're writing and writing and writing, and you stop. And you keep going back and you keep fixing the beginning without getting to the ending. And one of the biggest hurdles to overcome, first of all, in this sort of whole discussion of writer's block is to just understand that your first draft is garbage. It needs to be garbage. It's a lump. So you've got to just keep writing without going backwards. Get something down that you can then sculpt. Okay, Sadly, so you're giving, you're, yeah. you're giving people, you're giving writers permission to make mistakes. Permission is not to be perfect. Absolutely, absolutely. And what tends to happen is, and I, I know I have a daughter in grade 10, and she is not grade 10, she is 10, she's in grade 5, and she comes home from school and says, oh, mom, we wrote a short uh, draft of a, we wrote a first copy, what they call in school a rough copy of a short story today. And she says, I have to hand in my rough copy tomorrow, or my good copy tomorrow. So uh, my, my question to the teachers often is, so, where is that place in the process? So we talked briefly about getting your idea and, and creating your first draft, but is that first draft, is the teacher assuming that first draft, her, her so-called rough copy, is good enough to just be basically tidied up, punctuation, you know, that kind of thing, spelling mistakes, and then it's really ready to hand in the next day? Like, so her first draft of her short story, even though it's only a page, is already good enough? Hmm. So that, that way of teaching writing, which is not how professionals work, we... We get out that first draft, then, we, and it's a whole different process, that first draft writing is joyful, crazy, fun, you let it all hang out, because you never know what nuggets of gold you're going to find in there, and you have to give okay. yourself permission to let it out. But then, the really, the different level of work comes in, is as that first draft is finished, you go on, you put your revision hat on, you get your pencil out, you copy, paste, move, oh, the ending doesn't, now I've got this ending, the intro doesn't work, I, I've got to do this, I, I've missed something here. You totally take this thing apart and you, you rework and rework until your lump of clay becomes ever more like whatever it is you're trying to produce. Mm. 
And then you would talk about good copy, which would be proofreading, spelling mistakes, you know, all that sort of stuff at the end. So it's quite interesting to see how my daughter's learning to write at school, and that's how I learned to write too. But what it ingrains in you is this idea that your first draft must be absolutely perfect, right? Because, of course, the teacher just is expecting you to proofread it and hand it in. Well, then, my goodness, where's the room for changing entire paragraphs or cutting parts and rewriting them or, you know, completely redoing your piece? And and also, would you agree, like, many seasoned writers have one or two other people who they, before they ever hand anything in, they make sure they those individuals take a, take a look. Would you expect that also for oh, yeah. beginners? I think, uh, well, absolutely. I mean, it depends. Like, if a beginner writer, like, basically that's what I'm dealing with every day is young, aspiring writers under the age of 21, and they're all basically beginners. They're trying to get published. They're trying to create something worthy of getting it out there and get paid for it at some point. Now, if that's your goal, and even if your goal is to get an A on an essay at school, you do want to have another set of eyes look at it. And you don't, and, and this is the thing I always tell parents when they come to the conferences. I have a little parent workshop at the end of the day where I let them answer questions or ask questions. But one of the things I always want them to go away with is if your son or daughter understands the writing process, understands I've written my lump of clay, that's all it is, or I'm on my third revision, it's starting to get pretty good, or I'm on my final revision, I'm ready for proofreading. If you as a writer can hand that document to mom, dad, teacher, buddy, whoever, and say, you know what, this is a lump of clay, so can you just read it and just tell me if the story is working or if it's an essay, is the argument flowing properly? Just put a big red X wherever I lose you. But please don't look at spelling. Please (laughs) tell me about punctuation. Okay. All that stuff. So definitely, the, the the trick is, though, because I'll tell you, unless you're dealing with somebody who's, in, like, being a mom, one of the hardest things, if you're not a writer, is you're being asked to read your child's work, and what do you say? They've written a story, it's cute, what are you going to say, right? It's great, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so, but you're not helping them. So, But if your child, if you can develop a little bit of a terminology, like, okay, honey, is this your lump of clay? Is this your first draft? Or have you already done some revisions and are you ready for me to proofread it for you? What, what kind of help do you need? And you can develop a bit of a dialogue. And that right there on its own is going to take that, help that young writer get to the next step. Because I get so many kids, they submit the short, they submit a story, a poem, uh, an article, and it's, and I can tell from the first paragraph that it's a lump of clay. Okay. And there's no chance, no chance that anything's going to happen with that uh, on my end. They're not going to win. They're not going to make finals. They might not even make the first round of judging. Mm. Nobody writes perfectly the first time. <laughs> it doesn't happen. <laughs> exactly. Now, now, even seasoned writers have to have uh, tough skin. I mean, they really need to be able to take and understand that someone who's being critical is actually doing them a favor as opposed to thinking, oh, I'm not going to let this person read my stuff again. <laughs> you know. Yeah, you guys should have heard my husband and I last night. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in the midst of my next novel, The Naked Storyteller. Actually, I'm on revision round number four. And he read the first draft. And we were having a discussion, honey, I need to bounce some ideas off you, right? He's an avid reader. He's a wonderful man to have married for this because he, he, he's just, he reads everything. So he's great because he, he just, you know, he's got a really good handle on what's, on what's out there. So I trust mm-hmm. his judgment and he really helped me on my, on the, on Polly Wants to Be a Writer. But anyway, so we were talking and I said, listen, I just want to run an idea by you. I'm on draft number, revision round number four. I'm thinking of doing this with the main character. And he had such a reaction. He's like, no, you can't. <laughs> so, you know, it becomes a very interesting dialogue. So really, when I get closer to sending this thing into the publisher, 
I will probably allow him to read it again, even though he's committed to that first way I told the story. I've changed it. Like, I changed, rewrote the whole book from the main character's point of view rather than mm-hmm. the God's eye view. So, anyways, I will have him read it, but then you know for darn sure I'm going to have somebody else read it as well. Absolutely. You know, because more more he, opinions are better. Yeah, well, definitely, but ultimately it is my choice as the writer, and it is my craft, my book, my story, but it definitely is, uh, I find as a writer, because what we do is so quiet, it's so in our heads, we're tapping around the computer for multiple hours at a time. It's mm-hmm. so good to speak about your story idea or whatever it is you're writing, your article idea, and, and have that person there. And you and the, he's well-coached because he knows the writing process. We've been together a long time. He understands what I'm looking for at certain points. And I'm able to, even when he kind of freaked out yesterday about, <laughs> oh, don't change that, <laughs> right? You know, I was able to understand where he was coming from. because, And I also know where I am in the writing process of what I'm trying to do. But, yes, if you... There's no question my back got up, and that's, but that's just part of it. Because one of the things you want to feel as a writer is you want to feel like you can, you're, to put it this way, paint with all the colors in the paint box. Does that make Absolutely. sense? You don't yes, want to write. Does. Yeah, you don't want to write. I don't want to write the book that's going to make him happy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> in fact, you know? it's, it, yeah. And in fact, as strange as it may seem, I, I don't know if you ever read Misery by Stephen King or if you ever saw the movie, which was, yeah. uh, excellent uh, acting yeah, in that movie and it, it was actually about a a fan of the of the author yeah. having a very difficult time with his choice <laughs> of endings on one of his books and yeah. deciding to take him hostage and make him rewrite yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the book so if somebody wants to to, to see how uh in, in, in intense although that's obviously not realistic but how intense uh, uh readers and, and 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 writers can be that that particular movie is a very good example um, yeah. At this at this time, I do need to take a short break, but, but stay tuned. We'll be right back with more right after this. Welcome back to Educate on Talk Zone. Here's Doctor Jonathan Jefferson. Welcome back, welcome back, welcome back to the show and our discussion with our guest Laura Thomas. Laura, at the beginning of, of the show, you actually mentioned, you know, that you're a, a, an experienced writer because you put your 10,000 hours in. And I immediately thought of another famous Canadian. I think, I believe his name is Malcolm Gladwell. And in his book, he, he speaks of how, uh, when people hit that 10,000 hour mark, they pretty much become masters of their craft. Would you agree? Well, that's what you aspire to, and I don't know if I've actually put in 10,000 hours in my office chair, but I know I've been doing this a long time. I must be getting pretty close. But, yes, absolutely. That actually, that whole idea, which I know has been out there in several nonfiction books over the last few years, this idea of getting your 10,000 hours is wonderful, wonderful, wonderful for writers because uh, it definitely, I mean, I've been mentoring kids for about 10 years now, but when that dialogue came out, that catchphrase, 10,000 hours, I was like, yes. Because I think this idea is out there that because basically everybody, if they get to grade eight, they can, they know how to quote write, correct? Okay. <laughs> and they may so think the, so. The idea is though that well, being a writer is just kind of that maybe a little bit and a little bit more skill. Mm-hmm. But I think the actual idea of you know you're an apprentice, you're a journeyman, you move up through the craft. 
unless you're, you're one of those lucky few that, you know, has managed to, to glom onto a, a receding job in the journalist <laughs> you know, at a newspaper or something, mm-hmm. and you do get to work your way up. You know, the idea that many kids have that want to be writers is that, well, I learned to write in school, and that's good enough, right? And so it's, it's like, well, it's a start, but that's why I started my, I have an internship program at Laura Thomas Communications, and right now I've got 12 brilliant, young, talented writers from around the world who help me as junior editors for the blog. They write articles. Now, they're not guaranteed of getting published. They still have to go through our revision, you know, our, our editorial review process. Mm-hmm. Um, I invite young writers that have published to send their work in. Anything to help them really log those hours on their behinds at the computer doing real writing work. You know, so that matters so much. And when it comes time down the road for them to want to shop a novel around to a publisher or maybe take a stab at self-publishing and really have a chance at making some money, or they want to simply, you know, go write for, you know, write tweets and posts and, you know, web content for a company, whatever they want to do, you mm-hmm. know, you've got to get your hours in. Absolutely. And at this time, I'd like to invite our listeners, if they want to join this conversation, our phone lines are open, 888-463-6748. That's 888-463-6748. We're taking your calls on TalkZone. Now, you, you mentioned uh, publishing. Uh, should When and why would someone choose uh, self-publishing or the traditional publishing route? Um, I think if you're entrepreneurial and there are you know, creatives out there that are entrepreneurial as well, I say go go self-pub because it's got, there's just so much opportunity out there and you don't have to profit share with anyone. Mm-hmm. Um, if you are not entrepreneurial, you have no clue with marketing, you don't care, you just want to be a creative, then I think really you, there's just no point in doing self-publishing. Certainly not okay. for fiction. Not, not, not at all. So, you know, most self-pub I think is still best... Um, for, you know, uh, professionals who are trying to have a book and get invited out to be conference presenters and that sort of thing. It's part of your credibility, get your okay. ideas out on the marketplace. Fiction is a tough game when it comes to self-publishing, but if you're entrepreneurial, you're active on social media, you're connected, you're out there, and you know how to just naturally sell, then I think self-publishing is the way to go. And the cool thing I think that's happening is with the way the power balances are sort of changing with writers now no longer only being able to go through, um, you know, go through certain gates to get their work out to readers. I mean, we have so many venues now online and through, you know, all these different companies that are offering very inexpensive options for self-publishing. Absolutely. I, I think that authors should take advantage of that. So, and it's really changing the scene. And I think actually... The kids that I'm talking to today, we call them this generation of writers, aspiring young writers, I think the ones who, you know, they get through school, they they do some stuff with me, they get some publishing credentials built up, even if they're small, they go to college, they pursue writing, they end up in a field, and then they get their first book out there. I think, you know, even if they try the self-published route and don't really get as far as maybe they'd hoped, they're going to be able to approach a publisher down the road with a whole bucket of tools that the publisher is going to go, you know what, given the choice between the guy who never leaves his apartment and writes books and mm-hmm. the one who's a social media junkie who's out there doing and, you know, just absolutely creating a buzz about her work who, and has actually invested some of her own money in publishing her book, who are you going to want to work with? Absolutely. 
and and you, and you you you're touching on another point as well. There are individuals out there who have fantastic stories, but they're not writers, and right. they they go to what is called ghostwriters. Can you explain to us what a ghostwriter is, and when does someone choose to use a ghostwriter? Absolutely. Well, a ghostwriter is simply somebody who writes something and their name doesn't end up on the published piece. It's that simple. So, you know, you could have Joe Skateboarder wants to write a book about skateboarding, but he's not a writer, but he still wants to have a good book to put out. So he hires somebody, let's call her Sally, and Sally, he sits down with Sally and he tells her, you know, these are the things I want to cover in my book. Here's um, 10 years of emails with a bunch of stuff I've written. Here are some stories. I'm going to press the tape recorder. We're going to record these. He hands all that stuff to Sally. She goes off and cobbles it together into a book. And then they sort of work together to, yes, I like it. No, I don't. Change this. Add that. And boom, you have a book. <laughs> so okay. It's a great way for writers to make a living. And okay. uh, it's something I've definitely had my fair share of in the past and how I've been able to pay the bills. So, it's mm. a wonderful way to, you know, even if the aspiring young writer down the road is really like wants to be the next J.K. Rowling, that's fine. But, um, you know, don't shy away if a neighbor comes over and says, you know, I hear that you, you know, I hear that you know how to write. Well, I have this story, so do you think you could ghostwrite it for me? And don't ever shy away from the fact that your name will not be on it because, you know, what's the difference? Your name on it, money in the bank. You know, it all depends on what you're being a writer for. Absolutely. And, and, and in fact, you, you bring up a, a memory I have from, I guess, my college days, which is actually more than 20 some odd years ago. And a friend of mine, he loves writing. He was writing from, for, since he was, you know, very young and oh, it doesn't matter what job he's working, he's always writing and he writes in so many different genres and he, and he's, he has such a way with English. And I, it actually intimidated me away from writing. You know, I'm, you know, an academic and, and intellectual, but I'm, I never considered myself a writer. And he, and he just pretty much said, everyone's a writer. Just start putting pen to paper and you'll be fine. And, uh, I still, you know, ha- had a hesitation because every time I read his writing, I said, wow, he's so good. He's a true writer, not me. Um, how do you get people over the, the, the hurdle that I, <laughs> I had to get over? <laughs> oh, he was a sweetheart. He gave you really, he said something really nice to you, which, is, you know, everybody's a writer. Now, I don't necessarily agree with that, in the, <laughs> just in the sense that, you know, there are some, it's just like saying everybody's a carpenter. Well, no, <laughs> you know, so because, again, I don't like the idea of that kind of way of talking. Um, it just pulls the craft down, right? It makes everybody okay. on the same level, and that's fine, but it would be like saying everybody's a lawyer. True, true. And, you know, so there is a, a level of craft that if your friend has always been working in a profession with writing, he's probably put in his 10,000 hours. Plus, he probably had a little – and this is the thing is actually I would back up and say, because kids ask me all the time, is it talent or is it hard work when it comes to writing? Because it's so – I don't know, people just it, – it's like this behind-the-veil kind of a profession, right? Mm-hmm. And you must be sort of born as this great literary genius in order to have a career in writing. And it's not the case. I mean, you, you know, if you just like words and like writing and can express yourself, if you've been a teacher, if you, an academics, I mean, come on, you spend a lot of time with words, right? Uh, so absolutely. I it's would say very technical you, words. <laughs> well, that's, and that's okay because, again, if you're writing a book that's got, you know, technical kinds of language, speaking specifically into your profession, that's fine. But then again, if you wanted to switch over and do a piece of fiction, you've already logged hours of communicating. You've already logged hours of writing. So, 
you know, that's, and that all counts. Like it's, you know, you could write tweets full time for two years for a company somewhere in the basement, right? That's <laughs> and true. I, that counts as writing. It counts that's... as writing. It's putting words down. It's thinking about it. All of those hours add up. Okay. Now, now we spoke about ghostwriters. Uh, when would an author choose to use or a writer choose to use a pen name? Uh, pen names. <laughs> I'm going to share a little example with you about that. I, um, as I mentioned, I have interns uh, that work for me at LCC. And I had a young lady uh, from the Philippines who applied uh, about a year ago, and I gave her a shot at, at doing a couple months, you know, on a trial basis. And out of the blue, here I thought I was corresponding with a young lady under a certain name. All of a sudden, about a week ago, she emailed me and said something about, oh, and my, but this isn't my real name. <laughs> so <laughs> I went, okay. So, and you know, she's 16, right? She's a 16-year-old wannabe writer, very, very typical of the, the kinds of young people I talk to every day. And so okay. what I gave her for homework, I said, okay, this was wrong. But that's okay. I understand. How would you know, right? So mm -hmm. your job is to write a blog post for Yablog about when to use a pen name and when not to. <laughs> so I actually just emailed that to me today, and I'll be publishing it um, in April on the blog. But the okay. point is here is that when, as an author, you're ch I would never recommend a pen name, period, unless you're making a major – you've already established yourself as a major voice in a particular genre of writing. And you know that you're going to have crazy people like from Misery, you know, coming in <laughs> and hating you and stop buying your work in that genre if they find out that you've switched genres. That's when you would use a pen name. And, and, and you hit right on a good point because that very author, Stephen King, for a time wrote under an assumed name Richard Backman. Right. And I believe he did that because he was so established in one genre that he wanted to show that, hey, I can write in general. I don't have to write on, you know, horror. Um, you know, the although, funny thing is, is I don't think it actually had anything to do with him having to prove himself. He just wanted to keep the money coming in so he could feed his family. Okay. <laughs> I'm serious. Like, that's why you would do it. It would be like, well, I'm already doing really well. I'm making enough money to get by on this this track. If I switch over, I'm going to upset fans. I'm gonna, I might lose people. You know, so I think it's okay. more that. Now, the one thing that this young lady did is she applied to work with me under her pen name. Now, the caution here is, is if you're a young writer, there's two things. First of all, writing under a pen name, unless you're planning to keep that pen name forever, you know, you, what you really want to be building up in your portfolio, right, your tear sheets of your published mm -hmm. work, is you want to have something with your name on it. <laughs> So Absolutely. you can walk in with your resume and go, here's 20 pieces of writing I, that have my name on it, not some right. random name on it. So that's right. the first thing. The second thing what this young lady did is she was emailing me and transacting with me in a professional environment with her pen name. Mm. I had every reason to just say, you're done. True. Right? Because she's lying to me about who she is. Because mm -hmm. <laughs> I would never expect that a somebody would correspond with me as a human being by a, a pseudonym, True. right? Major issue. So I'm glad she did it with me where the stakes are low. That's what my whole business is all about. Make your mistakes mm -hmm. with me because I'm whatever, right? Okay. But, um, yeah, she's learned a big lesson that she'll never, she won't make that mistake again professionally, right? Yeah. 
And that's great advice. Actually, we have been speaking with Laura Michelle Thomas, an author, president of Laura Thomas Communications, publisher and senior editor of Job Blog. To learn more about all the wonderful work she does for writers, go to www.laurathomascommunications.com. Laura, thanks so much for joining us today. Well, thanks for having me. I appreciate having you. Stay tuned because our next guest is an intriguing novelist who has decades of experience teaching young writers. 